0: Welcome to the Doc Washburn Show, the show that talks about what you actually care about. We stream live at noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, weekdays at DocWashburnShow.com. Minutes after each live stream is, co- is completed, the Doc Washburn Show podcast is available for download at your favorite podcast platforms. The Doc Washburn Show is on Twitter and Facebook, and you can email us at contact at DocWashburnShow.com. Now, this is episode 59 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Tuesday, January 4th, 2022. Yes, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. Yes, it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. No, my old employer wouldn't let me say that on the radio. And yes, there's all kinds of evidence out there that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. So this is a really different kind of talk show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, DocWasherandShow.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. We're about a minute or so away from what's probably going to be one of the most serious interviews I've ever done. All right, that having been said, if you have tried to buy a car recently, car, truck, van, or SUV, You realize there's such a chip shortage that you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership right in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. The freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options. Clicking that guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options that you have full control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. So, if you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV... Order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door, no matter where you live. RedRiverYourWay.com. com. You will be so glad you did. Okay, uh, producer Brian Coolis, That is your <laughs> that is your uh, your cue to go ahead and put the uh, put the caller through if you have him. All right. Now, while we're waiting for our caller, we have a uh, scheduled interview with Nick Searcy, international television and film star Nick Searcy, about his, uh, his new remarkable movie, Capital Punishment. They lie to you about everything. While we're waiting for that, let me just remind you, for our listeners in Arkansas, uh, we do have coming up a global COVID summit, coming up at the Apostolic Church on Landers Road in um, North Little Rock. That's going to be this Saturday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. I plan to be there, and um, I hope you will be, too. Dr. Richard Urso, we interviewed yesterday, will be there. This is uh, Dr. Robert Malone's organization. All right, here we go. Here we go. Let me see if we can get this on here. All right, my guest today is television and film star Nick Searcy. He played Art Mullen in all six seasons of the TV series Justified. He was in the movies The Prince of Tides, Fried Green Tomatoes, The Fugitive, Castaway, One Hour Photo, Moneyball, Gosnell, The Trial of America's Biggest Serial Killer, and my favorite movie of all time, Greater, The Brandon Burlesworth Story. But more important than all that, he's not afraid to say that the election was stolen. His new film, Capital Punishment, Everything They Told You is a Lie, is unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's a deadly serious movie, but at times, it's very funny. No matter how well our words describe it today, you have to actually see the movie to get the full impact. At the close of this interview, we'll tell you how you can see the Capital Punishment movie. It's a real honor to welcome Nick Searcy to the Doc Washburn Show. Nick Searcy, you hit a home run with us. and How are you doing, brother?
1: Hey, Doc. How
0: are you? Nice to to you. Hey, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Early in your Capital Punishment movie, you have a quote from President Truman. Once a government is committed to the principle of silencing the voice of opposition, it has only one way to go, and that's down the path of increasingly repressive measures until it becomes a source of terror to all its citizens and creates a country where everyone lives in fear. That seems like exactly what they're trying to do in America these days, doesn't it?
1: It absolutely does. And and when you see the movie and you see what they're doing to private citizens like me, who went to Washington on January 6th and did nothing wrong, how they're being attacked by the FBI in their neighborhoods, in their homes, and charged with these ridiculous amounts of jail time for basically standing there and singing hymns, and saying the Pledge of Allegiance. It's being done deliberately, and it's being done to silence people and to send a, a fear through the community so that you, you never dare oppose them ever again.
0: You know, it's interesting. You talk about uh, standing there singing hymns outside the Capitol. Somehow or another, that didn't quite uh, make any of the, uh, the media reports. Um, you know, liberals always yeah. te- tell us the courts ruled against Trump election challenges over and over and over again. But you interviewed one of the greatest members of Congress of all time, Louis Gohmert from Texas. What did he ha- have to say about how the uh, the courts treated these election challenges?
1: Well, they were all um, none of the courts that that they claimed that these sixty times he was rejected. They never heard the evidence. It was always done some uh, lack of standing. There was a technicality that it was thrown out, and the case was never heard, so that the evidence was never presented. And it it gives them the talking point that the the courts turned him down. Well, no, the courts rejected hearing the case. So, in in fact, it's never been heard.
0: Exactly, exactly. We're speaking with Nick Cersei about his new film about January 6th, Capital Punishment. Uh, Nick, you spoke to one nonviolent, patriotic American after another, sometimes whole families, about how the FBI has attacked them. What do you think the FBI is trying to do here?
1: Well, by, uh, by driving armored vehicles into these uh, suburban neighborhoods and, and attacking these families, handcuffing 13-year-old girls, handcuffing a man's wife and his daughter, what they're doing is sending a message. They are trying to intimidate. This is, this is a terrorist tactic like you would see in the, the Taliban doing to try to send a message to the community, not only to punish the people that they are uh, that they are approaching, but to send a message to the community that these are bad people. You don't want to be like these people. And so, what happens to these uh, these people that they they have done this to? They not only face criminal charges; they're shunned by their community. The people around them say, "Oh, those are bad, violent people over there," because if they weren't bad violent people our government wouldn't be treating them like they were serial killers so they must be awful so a lot of them lose their businesses some of them lose their homes it's it's really a, a disturbing terror campaign that that unfortunately members of the community are carrying out in on the government's behalf
0: yeah i guess the idea is look if they weren't bad people would the fbi send you know um, a couple of dozen people in in You know, at at daybreak with battering rams and breaking down doors and this kind of stuff.
1: Um, And SWAT teams, I mean, they treat these people like they would be treating a drug cartel leader or a serial killer or, uh, you know, they they just treat them. It's insane. Most of these people, they should have been given a phone call, hey, we'd like to talk to you about what happened on January 6th. That would have been a reasonable way to do it. But, no, they do it in this high-profile, terroristic way uh, in order to send the message.
0: And the message seems to be uh, uh, being received loud and clear. Now, you also interviewed a lot of people who were at the Capitol last January 6th. Uh, One of them asked why the police were letting people in one side of the Capitol – while fighting a raging battle on the other side of the Capitol. Has has there ever been any kind of answer to that? Because it's a pretty good question.
1: Well, a lot of those facts are starting to come out. You know, uh, Julie Kelly at American Greatness has really been terrific about exposing all this. A lot of that stuff hadn't come out when we had to finish the movie. But it seems more and more like there was some orchestration going on here that uh, there were a lot of FBI operatives in the crowd who just like they did in the Governor Whitmer case they infiltrated the group and then instigated the activity. Yeah. so on one side the, the police are are fighting, you know, they're 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 fighting this raging battle and on the other side they're being waved in. In fact we we interviewed 274-year-old twin sisters who were there in the movie and they basically saw people walking in and out of the Capitol. They went up, they asked the police, and then that was there if it was okay if they came in. And he said yes. They went in, took a couple of pictures, went in there for about five minutes, walked back out. And then three weeks later, the FBI is banging on their door. Wow. And calling them domestic terrorists. These two 74 year old twin sisters who, you know, could, could make you a nice cobbler, probably. It's It's insane.
0: Well, you know, you're talking about um, the possibility of um, federal agents in the crowd instigating, and you got a couple of clips of a guy named Ray Epps who was very, very vocal and uh, very, very, uh, you know, present on video the night before. He's like, we got to go into the Capitol, and people start yelling at him, Fed, 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 because they believe he's a federal agent. And, you know, he was on... FBI's most wanted about January 6th for several months. And then all of a sudden, uh, it's like uh, they expunged him. They took him out. We have no idea. Who are you talking about? And everybody knows exactly who he is and exactly where he is. And so you see people like this who are not being uh, indicted. They're not being charged. They're not being arrested. Nobody's showing up at their homes, uh, you know, at, at daybreak, battering down. Doors and uh, and people are reasonably suspicious.
1: Yeah, you have to ask why. I mean, Ray Epps is, like you said, he's on camera instigating violence. And it also came out that Ray Epps and his group went to the Capitol before Trump even finished his speech, which means that most of the over mil, uh, a million people, which is also another lie they tell you, they always say it's a few thousand people, most, most of the people we talked to said there's only over 2 million people there that day. Most of the people were still listening to the speech when Ray Epp and his gang were taking down the fences, taking down the restricted area signs, and breaking windows at the Capitol. And why have none of these people ever been charged? It, 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 they removed the signs that said restricted area, and a lot of the people who the FBI charged with crimes They're charged with entering a a restricted area, and most of them say, I didn't see any sign that said it was restricted, and that's because Ray Epps and other FBI operatives like him took those things down to entrap the people coming from the speech to the Capitol.
0: It's outrageous. We're speaking with Nick Searcy, the new film about January 6th, Capital Punishment. They lied to you about everything. Uh Nick, J. Michael Waller, the Center for Security Policy, told you in your film that the FBI is engaging in psychological warfare. Um, well, I you know, this is one of my prepared questions, and I guess you, you kinda answered this already. I mean, when when they are making such a big public production in suburban neighborhoods um about handcuffing not only dad, not only mom, but a 13-year-old daughter, and and breaking down the sliding glass door, I guess that's that's the epitome of psychological warfare.
1: It absolutely is. And uh, another thing that detailed this uh, man who um, had a, a box of pocket constitutions in his garage that he would carry with him sometimes and pass out to children or whatever. The FBI took these constitutions and laid them out on the floor of his garage and photographed them as if they were evidence. It's like they, wow. they're they trying to criminalize being a constitutionalist. And, and this sends a message to, to everybody. It's like, Oh, those people over there waving those American flags, those people are dangerous. And that's the psychological torture. That's, that's the psychol. that's the message that's being sent is if you, if you are a patriot, you're dangerous. If you if you dare to stand up to the government and say, I don't believe the election was legitimate, you need to prove to me that it is, then that person is dangerous. That's treason. That's sedition. And nothing could be further from the truth. As, as Michael Waller says, these are the people that believe in our country probably more than any other people, and they're being criminalized and demonized for it.
0: Exactly. A Nick Cersei's new film about January 6th, Capital Punishment, um, Nick, could you please tell my listeners, what is a color revolution?
1: <laughs> well, that's a bit over my pay grade. There's guys in the movie that explain it a lot better than I do. But basically, in a nutshell, what it is, it's a fake operation. Okay. It is something that is made to seem like it's one thing when actually it's another. So that is what the January 6th committee is doing right now. And that is what the media did with January 6th. They didn't show you the huge crowd at the speech. They didn't show you all the people singing and praying. All they showed you was the violence that happened at the Capitol that a lot of it was instigated by people who were not Trump supporters. And yeah. so it, by doing that, you uh, you 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 basically are are t- telling the lie that all there was there, all that was there on January 6th were violent people when in fact Something completely
0: other was going on. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, not only did the media take it hook, line, and sinker, but I think a lot of the elected representatives, Republicans, uh, senators, and representatives uh, who might have been inside the Capitol at at, at the time, uh, they bought it hook, line, and sinker. I think a lot of the Democrats knew what was coming and they were in on it. But uh, you, you got a lot of the. Um, Uh, Republicans who were about to maybe challenge some electors from some states all of a sudden, like, oh no, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to back off of that. Uh, I know in my own situation, uh, there was an emergency memo that went out from the corporate vice president of programming, Cumulus Media. Uh, I used to do local talk radio for them in in Little Rock, Arkansas, saying, look, we got to bring the country together. We got to, we got to have peace. Uh, from here on out, if anybody says stolen the election or stop the steal, you'll be terminated immediately. So right. guys doing talk radio had to figure out, okay, so we got to figure out how to say the election was stolen without using those words. Uh, because obviously the majority of our listeners uh, knew that was what go- was going on. But, but everybody uh, bought into the uh, the hype and... And what was going on wasn't really what was going on. Uh, Nick Searcy, some of the people... I'm sorry, go
1: ahead. It's also fear. I mean, a lot of it is driven by fear. And you wouldn't believe the pushback that I've gotten on, on just making appearances to talk about the film from people that I know personally in the media, people whose shows I've done many, many times before. They won't have me on to talk about this movie because they're afraid. Wow. And the corporate, like you said, the corporate... Head, the heads of the corporations say, we can't have people talking this way uh, out loud. It's, it's it's the same thing that's happening on Twitter to Dr. Robert Malone. They are suppressing speech, free speech, from uh, not only the government level, but from putting pressure on corporations to say, you can't say that out loud.
0: Yeah, I mean, a good point there, because... Not too long ago, uh, Tucker Carlson on his uh, Fox Nation kind of side project from Fox News had this three-part series about Patriot Purge, about what really happened on January 6th, and it's not what you're being told. Mediaite reported that Chris Wallace, who was still fixing uh, Fox News at that time, Chris Wallace and Brett Baer went all the way to the top, all the way to the CEO of Fox News, um, complaining that Tucker Carlson would dare to put out an alternative narrative to what was being, uh, you know, the the accepted narrative of, oh, a bunch of Trump, Trump supporters were, were insurrections and violent terrorists and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it just, you know, it's it's, it's shocking. It, it really is.
1: Yeah, they, they can't allow that. And, and so in my case, what they're trying to do with me, Tucker Carlson's too big to ignore. Yeah. With our little movie. They can just they, their strategy with us is not to try to refute anything that we say in the movie. We're just going to ignore it. They want to pretend it doesn't exist. I mean, frankly, if I'm making all this up, if all the stuff that I put in this movie is not true, point it out, prove it, tell me where I'm lying. Yeah. you know, tell me yeah. what I tell me what I got wrong. But no, they just ignore it. They just say he's a conspiracy theorist. He's a nut. We can't have him on.
0: So. Wow. 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 Yeah. You got to see this movie. We're going to tell you in a little bit uh, how to uh, how to watch uh, uh, capital punishment. They lied to you about everything. Uh, Nick Searcy. Some of the people you interviewed are facing nonviolent misdemeanor charges, but they're looking at the possibility of double digit sentences if they're found guilty. How is that even possible?
1: Well, what is happening with a lot of these defendants, and you'll see this in the movie, most of these people are middle-class people. They don't have 150 or $200,000 to invest in a legal defense. So what they do is they pile up these charges, and then they give them these court-appointed attorneys. In Washington, D.C., most of whom are Democrats, most of whom hate their guts. And so the court appointed attorneys are not really working for these defendants. They're working for the government and they're trying to get these defendants to just cop a plea. They go to them and say, if you just speak of this one felony, you'll only do six months. But if you go in front of a jury, you might be 28 years. Wow. And so it's tempting, you know? And so a lot of these people are being bullied into taking these, these plea deals. and, It's so difficult to get an attorney to represent you in D.C. because it's not a state. This is another little-known fact. The District of Columbia, you have to have a license to practice there. So if you're arrested for something in North Carolina and you know a really good lawyer, that guy can't represent you unless he's got a license to practice in D.C. So you have to have an attorney from Washington, D.C. to take your case.
0: Oh, my goodness. Washington, D.C., where... Whenever there's a presidential election, tends to vote like 90% for whoever the Democrat is. Yeah, that's messed up. That's messed up. Um, Speaking to uh, Nick Searcy, the movie is Capital Punishment, capital with an O. Uh, Nick, Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed by a police officer with no warning that day at the Capitol. A lot of people know her name. A lot of people know about that but uh, probably a lot of these people haven't actually seen the video angles that you show in your movie. And I've seen video of her being shot before, but then what shocked me in your movie after she's shot and she falls, she was surrounded by police. But in the video you showed, I didn't see any of them even trying to do CPR. Doesn't that seem odd to you?
1: It's very odd. I mean, she's surrounded by police. The bird, the officer who killed her, shot basically into a crowd of policemen who are standing there, uh, you know, apparently armed with long rifles. And yet when you see what happens afterwards, none of those people act like policemen. They look like extra bad extras in a bad movie. They're standing around. They don't know what to do. They're not telling anything to the crowd. They're not giving any assistance to Ashley Babbitt on the ground. So it, it it really is strange, and I can't explain it. To me, it almost looks like it was staged. You know, that's that's the impression I get. I'm not saying that it was, but when you see the footage, there's something so strange about how these police officers behave that it, it makes me think there's something else going on.
0: And one of them I noticed with a long gun, as soon as she's shot, he raises the long gun in the direction of where the shot came from, which is a Capitol Hill police officer who basically ambushed her. He's got his gun pointed in the direction of the policeman uh, for a few seconds as he's trying to figure out, I guess, what's going on. Very, very strange video.
1: Yeah. And and one of the things we tried to do in the film with Ashley Babbitt is we, we sort of wanted to humanize her, to tell who she really was as a person because she's been so demonized in the public and they call her... In the media, they call her a terrorist and, and some right-wing zealot, and nothing could be further from the truth. This was a patriotic young woman who yeah. joined the Air Force when she was 17 and, and served her country for 11 years. And it, it's just none of it is true, and we, I think that's one of the strengths of the movie. We really do a, a good job of, of, of explaining who she actually was as opposed to what the media says she was.
0: Let me ask you about that. Yeah, because you did do a really great job of just letting Ashley Babbitt's widower, you know, her husband, up until the time she was murdered by that police officer, just let him speak into the camera about, yeah. his, about his wife and about that fateful day. Um, that must have been really rough for you and, and your crew. It's, uh, it was rough for me.
1: Yeah, I mean everybody, you know, my son worked on the crew uh, on this movie, my 21-year-old son, you know, when you're 21, you uh you you're not moved by that many things. <laughs> and then yeah. everybody was was really 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 in tears listening to Aaron talk about that. I mean, what a horrible thing. You you you, you know, your wife decides to go to Washington uh for a protest and you say I can't go, I got to work, but you know, have fun and to have to watch this happen to her on television. I mean, it's, it's an incredible story and, and very moving, and your heart goes out to Aaron Babbitt and, and, and in the film, and, and it's just uh, it's a, the it's, it's a central tragedy to all this. You know, it's now coming out that Roseanne Boylan, another yeah. woman who died that day, who they claim died of a drug overdose, is now coming out that she was actually beaten to death. And, and more and more, these these things are, are coming out. The truth is going to come out. The government is going to continue to suppress it. They're going to continue to demonize people who try to tell the truth about it. But the truth is going to come out about what happened that day.
0: You know, and, and Nick, there, there's no um, statute of limitations on murder. And I watched that that officer, uh, Michael Byrd, uh, being interviewed a few months ago. Very, very uh sympathetic um pulling punches soft soap interview Lester Holt did on NBC and Michael Bird with this guy who has no animus to him whatsoever Lester Holt is nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof i mean if you had uh you know a psychologist who looks at uh, um you know behavior and stuff this guy his eyes are darting back and forth left and right he can hardly control himself I mean, you know, I hope he'll eventually be held accountable. I'm sorry, what?
1: He was obviously coaxed. He was obviously told what he needed to say. Yeah. And he was trying to remember what it was that he was supposed to say. But if you look at the film, we saw the whole two minutes, Officer Bird has that gun up and pointed at that window long before Ashley Babbitt even gets there. It's up for like 30, 45 seconds. He's just pointing at it. And it's like he's already determined that he's going to shoot anybody that shows up there, as, as he probably was instructed to do. And when he shoots her, there's no verbal warning. He doesn't say stop, get down. He gives her no warning whatsoever. He just shoots her. And they had to cover that up because I think he was given orders by somebody higher up, and so they have to trot him out on television and try to make it seem like he did nothing wrong. And, and actually try to make him a hero because they're covering up who actually told him to do that.
0: And, and you know, now that you mention it, before she gets up to that window, um, there are people um, violently slamming and trying to break these double doors with windows in them. This is before actually Babby gets up in the window. And... uh Nobody stops them their cops stand around all over the place on the other side. nobody tries to stop them. Uh, you know officer Bird's not going to shoot them. It's just this predetermined okay whoever you get up on the window that's who I'm going to shoot And now that you mention it yeah. it's just one of the weirdest things I've ever seen in my life.
1: And one of the people that was breaking those windows there was a BLM activist named John Sullivan. yeah uh, when Christopher Wray goes before Congress and says we have no evidence of BLM presence. The guy who filmed Ashley Babbitt's murder yeah. was a BLM yeah. activist, a known BLM activist. I'm just some actor from Burbank. I found out that there was a BLM activist there. How can Christopher Wray not know it? He's lying.
0: Yeah, he is. He is. And as Congressman Thomas Massey recently reminded everybody, when Attorney General Merrick Garland uh, was under oath a few months ago, and Thomas Massey asked him, were there any federal agents or how many federal agents were there? On Capitol Hill January 6th, uh, um, Attorney General Garland got really nervous and refused to answer the question. Um,
1: right, because it came out yesterday, some of Julie Kennedy's reporting came out yesterday, that there was an elite team of, like, uh, FBI operatives with the uh, permission to shoot to kill that were all around the Capitol that day. It's, wow, it's very, very strange, and more of it is more of it's going to come out, Doc. It's going to continue to unravel.
0: Amen. Well, I tell you what, um, Nick Searcy, God bless you for doing this movie and setting the stage, and, and who knows? I mean, maybe there will be a, a part two at some point, but I would, I would urge everybody within the sound of our voices to go to the website, uh, give everybody the website so they can see the movie.
1: Capital Punishment the Movie dot com. That's capital with an O. Capital Punishment dot com. You can order it, stream it, or you can order a DVD. And uh, yes, please just watch the film. It's not even that partisan. It's really a film about the victims of that day. The, the, the innocent Americans who love this country, who happen to support President Trump, who happen to believe that there was something wrong with the election. How they have been criminalized, demonized, and terrorized by our own government. That's what the movie's about.
0: Capital Punishment The com. I watched it last night and I couldn't take my eyes off of it. And again, I'll just say, you know, very serious movie, but boy, there are some parts of it that are hilarious.
1: Um, and especially well, I can't really make a movie without doing a few stupid jokes. Uh, so
0: they, yeah, well they're, especially they're when you Yeah, especially when you're being interrogated by a certain congressman. That was just a scream. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, Nick. Yeah, Nick Cersei. Uh look, if you're ever in Little Rock, we got to take you out and get you some barbecue and catfish. Y'all, y'all come see us, brother. I appreciate it. Capitol Hill, pardon me. I keep on wanting to say hill, capital punishment, capital with an O, capital punishment, the movie.com. Uh Nick Searcy, God bless your brother and and Godspeed. We appreciate
1: you. Thank you, doc, and God bless you too and God bless your audience. Thanks for having me on.
0: All right, have a great day. God bless. Thank you. All right. There it is. There it is. Now, um I want to Get to a couple of things that Nick was talking about there. Um, the updates from our mutual friend Julie Kelly at American Greatness. i, I, I got to get to that. Um, but let me just, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's so ironic. We talk every day about the fact that the government keeps on lying to us. And for a lot of people of a certain age, uh, the first big lie from the government they remember was when Nancy Pelosi announced about Obamacare, you know, about the so-called Affordable Care Act that, um, well, uh, we're just going to have to pass it so you can see what's in it. I remember that. Remember that? Oh, but it's going to be affordable. It's going to be affordable. Yeah, absolutely. And and it wasn't. So let me let me ask you: Did this uh, Obamacare, this so-called Affordable Care Act, actually make your health care more expensive? Does your health insurance premium feel like a second mortgage? Does your sky-high deductible prevent you from going to the doctor? Do your sky-high co keep you from going to the doctor? Now, if you answered yes to any of those questions, there's a website you need to go to, myfamilyhealthplan.com. And the first thing you see is these big, bold letters, affordable plans. But since it's not the government, they're not lying to you. Save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays, and then the wonderful button which says Schedule Call Now. You click on that button and you book a free consultation with my friend Art Wilborn who makes sure there are no gaps in your coverage. And he also makes sure, unlike some of those Obamacare plans, that you're not forced to cover things which would uh, violate your deeply held religious beliefs. No, no, no forcing you to cover stuff like abortion and transgender surgery and, and all that kind of foolishness. And that's a real blessing. Again, affordable plans, save 30 to 50% on premiums, personalized health coverage, low to no deductible, no co-pays. Click the button that says schedule, call now, book a free consultation. My buddy Art Wilborn will make sure there are no gaps in your coverage. Save money on your insurance at myfamilyhealthplan.com. dot All right, very good, very good. Now, um, oh, okay, uh, we we got a we got a, a message here from some folks listening uh, live on the Podbean app. One fellow says, "You know, I usually listen to the podcast after the fact, but I'm trying the Podbean app for the the second day." Yeah, there's no law against listening live. You know, we uh, we appreciate you listening live, absolutely. Now, uh, real quick, have you seen Joe Rogan's interview with Dr. Robert Malone yet? If not, I strongly recommend it. Dr. Malone actually invented the technology that's being used in the COVID vaccines. Uh, The podcast he did with Joe Rogan tells you the truth about the China virus and the U.S. government's lies. We've seen a lot of evidence that doctors and hospitals are actually killing people by refusing to treat them for the Wu flu. The information Dr. Malone shares on the Joe Rogan podcast is a matter of life and death. I watched the whole podcast interview. In it, Dr. Malone mentions his organization, worldcovidsummit.org. Now, a number of the doctors associated with Dr. Malone are going to be hosting the latest World COVID Summit this Saturday, 9 to 4, at the Apostolic Church on Landers Road in North Little Rock. If you're in the area, plan to join us. Tomorrow, I'll be interviewing one of these doctors, one that Dr. Malone actually told Joe Rogan about. His name is Kirk Milhone. His hospital, the only one on the island of Maui, apparently kicked him out for saving people's lives with ivermectin. So don't miss that tomorrow at um, noon Eastern, 11 Central. All right, now, let me get to uh, what Nick Searcy was alluding to towards the end of our interview. Julie Kelly. Over to AmericanGreatness dot com. Well, it's AMGreatness.com. It stands for American Greatness. Has a new article out. One year later, more lingering questions about January sixth. And she says a bombshell report just published in Newsweek magazine details an in-depth secret operation conducted by the Justice Department before and during January 6th. Contrary to the lamentations of FBI Director Christopher Wray that he wished his agency had had better resources to prevent the Capitol breach, hundreds of elite forces under Christopher Wray's authority were on standby days just before the protests and even on the ground as it happened. Newsweek magazine has a big expose about it. The shadowy commandos stationed at Quantico, home of the FBI Academy, on January 2nd, 2021, included the FBI's hostage rescue team and SWAT teams. Newsweek investigative reporter William M. Arkin wrote, quoting now, On the morning of January 6th, most of these forces staged closer to downtown Washington, particularly after intelligence was received indicating a possible threat to FBI headquarters building or the FBI's Washington field office. FBI tactical teams arrived on Capitol Hill early in the day to assist in the collection of evidence at sites, including the Republican and Democrat Party national headquarters where explosive devices were found. FBI SWAT teams and snipers were deployed to secure nearby congressional office buildings. Other FBI agents provided selective security around the U.S. Capitol and protection to congressional members and staff. An FBI tactical team, according to the report, entered the building immediately after protesters did, which was shortly after 2 p.m. January 6th. Now, to the casual reader, news that the nation's top law enforcement agency prepared ahead of time to combat possible violence in January 6th, tends to be reassuring. But to anyone who's closely followed the hyper-partisan activity of the FBI over the past several years, the article reads more like a confession, confirming deep suspicions that the FBI played an instrumental role and prompt in the events of that day rather than act as a legitimate police force helping to keep lawmakers and American citizens safe. Those suspicions are not without merit. In September, the New York Times confirmed that at least two FBI informants had infiltrated the Proud Boys and alleged militia group that breached the Capitol that day. Defense attorneys disclosed in court documents that FBI agents were in the crowd. The Justice Department's scandal-ridden prosecution of several men charged with conspiring to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020 continues to reveal disturbing details of how the FBI concocted the plot in the first place and managed every aspect of the plot until the end. More than a dozen informants and undercover agents executed the scheme, one FBI asset per each defendant. Prosecutors continue to tie the kidnapping plot and January 6th together, a legal strategy that could backfire big time for federal prosecutors. And more importantly, several agitators on January 6th, including Ray Epps and Stuart Rhodes, who is person number one in the multi-defendant conspiracy case against the Oath Keepers, still have not been charged. Neither have dozens of protesters photographed wearing neon orange hats and electrical tape that day. So as the nation approaches the one-year anniversary of what Democrats and the Biden regime insist was an attack as grave as 9-11, the top unanswered question is, what did the FBI do and when did it do it? At least one Republican congressman has already confronted Attorney General Merrick Garland about the FBI's involvement on January 6th, playing a recording of Ray Epps on the night of January 5th, we talked about this in my interview earlier with Nick Searcy, and on two other occasions on January 6th, when Ray Epps implored people to go into the Capitol U.S. Representative Thomas Massey, Republican, Kentucky, asked Attorney General Merrick Garland what he knew about his department's participation in the Capitol protest. Quote, Can you tell us, without talking about particular videos, how many agents or assets of the government were present on January 6th, whether they agitated to go into the Capitol, and if any of them did, unquote. Merrick Garland, citing privacy concerns about an ongoing investigation, refused to answer. But Republicans have a duty to insist on getting the answers. The FBI is a corrupt body that has lost the trust of many Americans, including Republicans who have historically supported the Bureau. If the FBI infiltrated political groups months ahead of the protest, orchestrated travel plans, and instigated criminal behavior, as the FBI apparently did, in the plot to kidnap... Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, the American people deserve to know. I mean, more questions demand answering. More questions demand answers, including why does the government continue to conceal 14,000 hours of surveillance video taken inside and outside the Capitol building on January 6th? If the so-called attack was indeed an act of domestic terror, as FBI Director Christopher Wray concluded. The public should see every minute of the footage. Indeed. Instead, the Justice Department continues to petition the court to keep every clip under a protective order with limited access even to defendants and their attorneys. Another question that demands an answer who planted the alleged pipe bombs outside the headquarters of the Republican National Committee and Democrat National Committee on the evening of January 5th. That scare prompted the first set of evacuations just as Trump finished his speech at the Ellipse the next day. Considering the excessive powers the FBI has used to hunt down capital trespassers, including geofence warrants to collect cell phone data of everyone in the city that day, it's inexplicable that the perpetrator who allegedly planted the bombs in front of the DNC and RNC headquarters has not been caught and charged unless, of course, the perpetrator was a fed himself. Another question that must be answered. Who gave the orders to D.C. and Capitol Police to actually assault protesters with explosive devices such as flashbangs, pepper balls, rubber bullets, and chemical spray. The unwarranted attacks led to most of the confrontations between police and protesters, resulting in more than 100 charges of assaulting police officers against Capitol protesters. At the same time, the government is concealing the names of officers involved in the alleged attacks contending that they are crime victims, these police officers, they're crime victims and require privacy. Another question that must be answered. Who are the officers who beat, punched, stomped, and maced women inside the Lower West Terrace Tunnel that afternoon? One of the women, Victoria White, faces numerous criminal charges, but her brutal attackers have not been identified or charged. In any other case of police brutality, the names of the officers would be released almost immediately. But once again, the rules are different for January 6th. Another question must be answered, where is the report on the internal investigation into Michael Byrd, the Capitol cop who shot and killed Ashley Babbitt and who remains on the force to this day? Another question which must be answered, Who are the officers who let hundreds of people into the building that afternoon? Another question which must be answered. Why did House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser reject offers for thousands of National Guard soldiers to assist with security on January 6th? Last but not least of the questions which must be answered. Where is the full autopsy report on Roseanne Boyland? one of two women who died on January 6th. The D.C. coroner claimed she died of an accidental drug overdose. But video and eyewitness accounts support a more sinister culprit that police contributed to, if not caused, Roseanne Boylan's death at the age of only 34 years old. Capitol Police Officers Aquilino Gonnell and Harry Dunn testified that they handled her body before she was officially pronounced dead that evening around 6 p.m., what did they do to her? Unfortunately, with a few exceptions, Republicans in Washington have shown no appetite for exposing the truth about January 6. Republican senators have remained completely silent, except to go along with the narrative of a so-called armed insurrection, and only a handful of Republican House members have called out the Justice Department's abusive investigation and political prison. Democrats have the upper hand for now. If Republicans take over Congress next year, they must demand a full investigation under a new January 6th select committee. If The Capitol protest was, as it increasingly appears, an inside job The American people are entitled to know the truth. Yeah, they are. That's Julie Kelly over at amgreatness.com, article entitled, One Year Later, More Lingering Questions About January 6th. Now, she dropped that article yesterday. This morning, already, she's dropped a new article, which is much shorter. Poll, Most Republicans Distrust the FBI. She says, for decades, the Federal Bureau of Investigation enjoyed strong support from Republican political leaders and voters. But the agency's reputation has crashed among its most dependable constituency amid scandal, corruption, and flagrant politicking on behalf of the Democrat Party. Erasmus and Polle, released today, shows that 57% of Republicans hold an unfavorable view of the FBI. 47% of all likely voters surveyed at the end of December view the FBI unfavorably. As if to prove the Bureau has become the jackboots of the National Democrat Party, rather than a nonpartisan law enforcement agency, A whopping 63% of Democrats have a favorable opinion of the FBI. Okay, now, in a question that cribbed an accurate accusation made by Trump loyalist Roger Stone, 64% of Republicans agreed with a statement that a group of politicized thugs at the top of the FBI who are using the FBI as Joe Biden's personal Gestapo Overall, 46% of those polled agreed with Roger Stone's sentiment. Now, Christopher Ray gets poor marks from Republicans. 61% say Ray, appointed by Donald Trump in 2018, is influenced by Joe Biden and not independent of the administration. 50% of all voters and 35% of Democrats believe Christopher Ray takes his marching orders from the White House. Over the past several years, under the leadership of James Comey, Andrew McCabe, and now Christopher Wray. The FBI has torched his credibility among the majority of Americans. Jim Comey opened Crossfire Hurricane, a counterintelligence probe, into the Trump campaign based on imaginary Russian election collusion in 2016. Comey used as evidence before secret court a dossier of false political propaganda sourced by a foreign agent paid by the Clinton campaign and the Democrat National Committee. Text messages between top agents involved in the probe showed open contempt for Donald Trump and his voters. Andrew McCabe lied three times to FBI investigators about his role in leaking classified information. An FBI lawyer and Clinton campaign attorney also have been charged with perjury related to Crossfire Hurricane A special counsel continues to investigate the probe's origins and those involved. Aside from the investigation into Trump and his campaign, which came up empty-handed after special counsel Robert Mueller found no evidence of collusion after a two-year witch hunt, the FBI has created more image problems for itself. James Comey announced in July 2016 that Hillary Clinton would not be charged for destroying her email server, which was evidence under congressional Investigation at the time. FBI field offices ignored for over a year serial sexual abuser Larry Nasser, the head doctor for the women's Olympic gymnastics team, who molested at least 300 girls and women, including gold medalists. But more than a dozen FBI investigators were quickly deployed to a NASCAR speedway in 2020 to find out if someone hung a noose. In the garage of one of the sports-only black drivers, the agency concluded no crime was committed. More recently, the agency is under scrutiny for its suspected role in the events of January 6th. Suspected assets, including Ray Epps and Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the Oath Keepers, have not been charged a year later. Fueling speculation, both men acted at the behest of the FBI, the New York Times confirmed FBI informants infiltrated the Proud Boys, an alleged militia group that breached the building on January 6th. When pressed by Representative Thomas Massey last year to explain how many FBI agents and informants were involved in the Capitol protest, Attorney General Merrick Garland refused to answer. And the Justice Department's case against several men accused of planning to supposedly kidnapped Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer from her vacation cottage in 2020 is falling apart. The plot involved at least a dozen FBI informants, including one who committed at least two crimes while helping the FBI execute the scheme and undercover agents. The top agent overseeing the FBI concocted CAPER in Michigan was fired after he was arrested for assaulting and attempting to strangle his wife after a swingers' party last summer. Two other FBI agents have been removed from the government's witness list amid charges of moonlighting and perjury. Defense attorneys and court filings have made a strong case of FBI entrapment. With January 6th trial set to begin next month, the American people will discover more evidence of FBI involvement in the protest. It's unlikely those revelations will help the FBI restore its lost credibility I uh, I don't know how to say this, but uh, well, when I did local talk radio in Little Rock, Arkansas. In the late summer of 2018, we had a uh, a listener who worked at the airport in Little Rock who called us and said, I don't know what's going on, but there are a whole lot of federal agents out here at the airport loading hundreds of boxes of documents onto a big jumbo jet owned by the Department of Justice and it's headed back to uh, Washington, D.C. And they did it twice, two plane loads, in like two or three days. And um, a few months later, in December of 2018, when most people had gone home from Washington, D.C. for the Christmas break, then Congressman Mark Meadows had some sort of subcommittee Hearing in Congress. Jim Jordan was also there. And they interviewed a couple of guys, uh, Moynihan and Doyle. Now, Moynihan and Doyle, one of whom was a former federal agent himself, they both had a companies that um, investigate 501c3s. And um, they started talking about that day a few months earlier when federal agents were loading boxes of documents onto a jumbo jet owned by the Department of Justice. And they were doing it at the Little Rock Airport. And when I found out about that, my antenna really went up because I'm like, wait a minute, they're confirming what we thought because we figured when we got the call a few months earlier, where did they get those boxes of documents? I mean, certainly it wouldn't be the Bow Weevil Eradication Board in Arkansas. I mean, it would have to be the Clinton Foundation, right? I mean, if it wasn't the Clinton Foundation, where what, what could it be? And uh, the local newspapers in Little Rock and local TV stations all ignored the story. We, the Doc Washburn Show, the talk radio show I did locally in Little Rock, we were the only media outlet to even talk about the story. So Moynihan and Doyle confirmed that um, a whole lot of uh, FBI and IRS CID agents, that's Criminal Investigation Division, um, took hundreds of boxes of documents out of the Clinton Foundation in downtown Little Rock, and put him on a jumbo jet owned by the DOJ and took him back to Washington, D.C. And still, still, none of the television stations or newspapers in Little Rock were interested in the story. My local talk radio show, my little afternoon talk radio show, and, and I'm not a journalist, I'm just a, washed-up DJ, impersonating a talk show host, but we were the only media in the Little Rock area, or much of anywhere, as far as I could tell, that talked about the story. So, uh, I don't know, I've been debating whether to talk about this or not, but um, I know an FBI agent, and I asked him later on, about that whole thing with the Clinton Foundation. And he just had the oddest answer I could imagine. He said, hey, Doc, uh, you remember that story in Alabama where this guy had this underground bunker and he had kidnapped a kid and everything? Uh, Yeah, there was a lot of information about that. That's what that was about. And... uh, I'm just thinking what? And I mentioned it I mentioned it to a a friend a friend of mine. And uh he said, "Well, I mean, you should have said something like, 'Come on, man, you're talking to me.'" I said, "No, no, I didn't think that was a good idea because the guy's an FBI agent. And FBI agents break down people's doors who haven't done anything and get away with it. So, Now, I just figured I should let a sleeping dog lie, which I have now for a couple of years until now. If he hears about it, he hears about it. I'm not worried about it. I mean my life is in God's hands. So anyway, um <clears throat> very, very strange stuff going on. Very strange stuff going on. Now a couple of things I want to I want to share with you. Uh, but before I do, let me uh let me just remind you that there is something that I believe is the best kept secret in American healthcare, and it's called upper cervical care, getting your atlas adjusted. And I first found out about it when I ran into a doctor who does this in Brunswick, Georgia. And the idea is your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds, it rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, the C1, which only weighs two ounces. Really easy for that atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, digestive system. even cause migraines, neck pain, vertigo. So when I found out about this doctor in Brunswick, Georgia, um, my mother was helping me raise my six children. I was a single dad with six kids. And I went home and told her about it. She said, well, look, you got to take your son Steve, who was, I think, 13 at the time. She said, I'm concerned that uh, he's developing scoliosis at his young age. He's got curvature of the spine. spine he can't sit up st- straight. He can't stand up straight. He's got migraines all the time. So I took Steve, and the doctor did the uh, x-rays and said, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's um Atlas needs to be adjusted. When he adjusted Steve's Atlas, immediately stood up straight. He sat up straight. After the third adjustment, the migraines went away. And my mother told me, Doc, look yourself in the mirror. Your, your shoulders are all off balance. Uh, you have headaches all the time. I think you need to go get your Atlas adjusted. So I go. And um, sure enough, I mean, when I got my Atlas adjusted, I felt like it was coming up out from the ether. I didn't even realize how gradually this uh, low-grade neck pain and, and 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 headache that I had all the time walking around in a fog had come on because I had been in several automobile accidents in the 20 years preceding that. Uh, fast forward many years, Little Rock, Arkansas, and um, I was engaged to be married. And it was New Year's Eve 2015, I couldn't get my uh, fiancé on the phone and come to find out that she had woken up that morning unable to catch her breath and her uh, son's fiancé had to drive her 80 miles an hour to the ER at Baptist Medical Center afraid she was going to die. And they put her in a uh, medically induced coma. To try to stabilize her. She was in the hospital for nine days, medically induced coma for two and a half of those nine days. When she got out, I took her to the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. And they did the x rays, said, sure enough, we got to adjust her atlas. They adjust her atlas. And as we're walking out of the clinic, she said, Doc, this is crazy. The big toe on my left foot has felt numb and tingly for years. Now feels normal. She texted me that afternoon while I was doing my little radio talk show, said, hey, guess what? I don't have my regular daily backache. A few days later, she said, you know, I haven't had a headache since I got my atlas adjusted at the Arkansas River Circle Center. I said, well, how often are you used to having headaches? She said, oh, every day. So I say all that to say this. If you have migraines, you have neck pain, back pain, vertigo, um, breathing issues, and you're in the Arkansas, central Arkansas area, you really ought to call my friends at the Arkansas circle Center, 501-279-2009, for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted. Or, if you're outside central Arkansas, because we have people listening from all over the country, go to their website, TurnMyPowerOn.com, click on Find a Doctor to see if you can find a doctor who does this close to where you live. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people. So many people that we know, and um, I vouch for them. I advertise these folks uh, for seven years in my local talk radio show, and for years, I had prayed for some kind of a national platform where I could get the word out to people all over the country. And now the Lord has answered our prayers, and, and we, uh, we do that. We do that. So they've helped a lot of people we know. Who knows, they might even be able to help you. All right, um, a lot more stuff we want to talk about here. Um, but first, let me grab a drink of water. Do this.
1: You're listening to The Doc Washburn Show. We are unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. You can now listen live weekdays, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time at docwashburnshow.com. Podcast available at docwashburnshow.com and for download at Spotify, iTunes, Apple, or wherever podcasts are available. We are on Twitter and Facebook. You can email us at contact at docwashburnshow.com or call us at 866-609-3711. All
0: right, all right, all right. So, Newsmax reporting. Department of Homeland Security says more than 52,000 Afghan refugees have been resettled throughout the United States. Stephen Miller Senior advisor to President Trump says, unscreened, unvetted, unverified, and now with unlimited access to federal welfare and public support. And I guess that was um, kind of the idea, right? They really are trying to uh, collapse the system. So it would seem. Now, earlier, we were doing our interview with uh, Nick Searcy. And I, I mentioned one of the people that he interviewed, uh, J. Michael Waller for the, uh, of the Center for Security Policy, who told Nick Searcy in his movie Capital Punishment that uh, the FBI is engaging in psychological warfare. Well, I went to J. Michael Waller's Twitter account, and I found some fascinating things. Fascinating things. Including an article from the Washington Times, Pentagon goes to court to defend COVID-19 vaccine mandate for troops. The Pentagon's battle against COVID-19 vaccine holdouts is headed for the courtroom. While the big question centers on whether the U.S. military has overstepped its legal authority by ordering all service members to be vaccinated, the battle is expected to play out across several fronts over the coming weeks and months. The Defense Department is facing multiple high-stakes legal fights rife with national security implications. This includes clashes with Republican governors who claim full control over National Guard forces, and the Pentagon's hardline against troops seeking COVID-19 vaccine waivers on religious grounds. Yeah, they won't give any waivers on religious grounds. And the case will encompass matters of federalism, First Amendment rights, and other key questions forming the backdrop for what has emerged over the past year as the most controversial military health initiative in U.S. history. Now, I wouldn't have known about that article if uh, J. Michael Waller hadn't linked to it on his Twitter feed. And he said, Pentagon can't wage lawfare against the enemy, won't hold communist China responsible for the pandemic, so it goes against its own troops and state governors. Yeah. That's what it does. That's what it does. And J. Michael Waller also says, here's proof that the Chinese regime is institutionally responsible for the global pandemic because it prevented the truth from getting out in time and distorted the truth ever since. So he links to a screenshot from the Washington Post, and he says, January first, 2020, Chinese communist authorities warned people about what to say and what not to say about the virus online. And here is here's a screenshot from the Washington Post. On January 1, 2020, the Wuhan Public Security Bureau, Bureau summoned eight people for posting and spreading so-called rumors about Wuhan hospitals receiving SARS-like cases, detentions that were reported on Zhenwen Liambo, a newscast watched by tens of millions of people. The police followed up in the state-run Xinhua News Agency with a chilling warning, quote, the police call on all netizens to not fabricate rumors, not spread rumors, not believe rumors, unquote. The Wuhan authorities said, adding that they encouraged web users to, quote, jointly build a harmonious, clear, and bright cyberspace, unquote. So as J. Michael Waller, Center for, uh, Security policy says, two years ago, New Year's Day, 2020, Chinese communist authorities warned people about what to say and what not to say about the virus online. And then, he links to the article from TheHill.com, Twitter permanently suspends Marjorie Taylor Greene's account over COVID 19 misinformation? No, it's not misinformation. It's not misinformation. See, Twitter permanently banned U.S. lawmakers for saying unauthorized things about the virus. Unauthorized things. Yeah. So Marjorie Taylor Greene, of course, says Twitter's an enemy to America. It can't handle the truth. That's fine. I'll show America we don't need them. It's time to defeat our enemies. Amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um,. One of the things that I always try to remind myself of is i don't um, I don't ever want you to say, "Why didn't you warn us? Why did you keep that from us?" okay? I want to get the word out so Dr. Malone was talking on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast, Dr. Robert Malone about mass formation psychosis. And uh, he's got a little article here over at his Substack. Substack is a place where people can uh, write their own columns. And as far as I know, they don't get censored. You know, it's not like, Facebook, or Twitter, or Instagram, or YouTube, or Google. They could just kind of speak the truth. And I don't know how they get away with it. But anyway, Mass Formation Psychosis, subtitle, or Mass Hypnosis, the Madness of Crowds. And Dr. Malone says, as many of you know, I have spent time researching and speaking about mass psychosis theory. Most of what I have learned has come from Dr. Matthias Desmet who realized that this form of mass hypnosis or the madness of the crowds can account for the strange phenomenon of about 20 to 30% of the population in the Western world becoming entranced with the noble lies and dominant narrative concerning the safety and effectiveness of the genetic Vaccines and both propagated and enforced by politicians, science bureaucrats, pharmaceutical companies, and legacy media. What one observes with the mass hypnosis is that a large fraction of the population is completely unable to process new scientific data and facts demonstrating that they have been misled about the effectiveness and adverse impacts of mandatory mask use, lockdowns, and genetic vaccines that cause people's bodies to make large amounts of biologically active coronavirus spike protein. These hypnotized by this process are unable to recognize the lies and misrepresentations They are being bombarded with on a daily basis and actively attack anyone who has the temerity to share information with them, which contradicts the propaganda that they have come to embrace. And for those whose families and social networks have been torn apart by this process and who find that close relatives and friends have ghosted them because they question the officially endorsed truth, so-called and are actually following the scientific literature, this can be a source of deep anguish, sorrow, and psychological pain. It is with those souls in mind that I included a discussion of the mass formation theory of Dr. Matthias Desmet during a recent talk I gave in Tampa to an audience of about 2,000 people. As I looked out into the audience and spoke, I could see relief on many faces and even tears running from the eyes of stoic men. Unknown to me, someone recorded the speech and appended the vocal track to a series of calming images of natural landscapes producing a video that has gone viral throughout the world. A link to the video as well as some notes to clarify and supplement the talk are embedded in this article. Many have told me they find it very healing. I hope it may help you also. He says, a brief overview of mass formation, which was developed by Dr. Matthias Desmet. He's a psychologist and statistician. He's at the University of Ghent in Belgium. I think Dr. Matias is onto something about what is happening, and he calls this phenomena mass formation psych- psychosis. So, when he says mass formation, you can think of this as equivalent to crowd formation. One can think of this as crowd psychosis. Now, the conditions to set up mass formation psychosis include lack of social connectedness and sense-making, as well as large amounts of latent anxiety and passive aggression. When people are inundated with a narrative that presents a plausible object of anxiety and strategy for coping with it, then many individuals group together to battle the object with a collective single-mindedness. This allows people to stop focusing on their own problems avoiding personal mental anguish. Instead, they focus all their thought and energy on this new object. As mass formation progresses, the group becomes increasingly bonded and connected. Their field of attention is narrowed, and they become unable to consider alternative points of view. Leaders of the movement are revered, unable to do any wrong. Left unabated, a society under the spell of mass formation will support a totalitarian governance structure capable of otherwise unthinkable atrocities in order to maintain compliance. A note. Mass formation is different from groupthink. There are easy ways to fix groupthink by just bringing in dissenting voices and making sure you give them platforms. It isn't so easy with mass formation. Even when the narrative falls apart, cracks in the strategy clearly aren't solving the issue. The hypnotized crowd cannot break free of the narrative. This is what appears to be happening now with COVID-19. The solution for those in control of the narrative is to produce bigger and bigger lies to try to prop up the solution those being controlled by mass formation no longer are able to use reason to break free of the group narrative. Of course, the obvious example of mass formation is Germany in the 1930s and 40s. How could the German people, who were highly educated, very liberal, in the classic sense of liberalism, Western-thinking people, how could they go so crazy and do what they did to the Jews. How could this possibly happen to a civilized people? A leader of a mass formation movement will use the platform to continue to pump the group with new information to focus on. In the case of COVID-19, I like to use the term fear porn. Leaders through mainstream media and government channels continuously feed the beast, with more messaging that focus on for, uh, the focus and further hypnotize their adherents. A study suggests that mass formation follows a general distribution. Thirty percent are brainwashed, hypnotized, indoctr- indoctrinated by the group narrative. Forty percent in the middle are persuadable and may follow if no worthy alternative is perceived. 30% actually fight against the narrative. Now, those that rebel and fight against the narrative become the enemy of the brainwashed and a primary target of aggression. One of the best ways to counter mass formation is for those against the narrative to continue to speak out against it, which serves to help break the hyp- the hypnosis of some in the brainwashed group as well as persuade the persuadable middle folks to choose reason over mindlessness. Dr. Matthias Desmet, University of Ghent in Belgium, suggests that for something as big as COVID-19, the only way to break the mass formation psychosis is to give the crowd something bigger to focus on. He believes that totalitarianism may be the bigger issue. Of course, after COVID-19, global totalitarianism may be the biggest issue of our time. It's Dr. Robert W. Malone over at Substack. I'll uh, try to get this out of my uh, personal Facebook page here in a little bit. But what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Um, I think that's what's going on. Look, when I when I walk out of the um, the grocery store, and see people in the parking lot walking around with uh, wearing masks outside in a grocery store parking lot. I'm like, okay, you guys are hypnotized, man. This doesn't make any sense. You know, um a few months ago, a prominent NBA basketball star and I wish I remembered his name cuz I'm not a big NBA basketball fan. He's sitting on the sidelines of a practice session. This is before the season got started. With his toddler. Little fellow look like he's maybe a year and a half, 2 years old and he's putting a mask on this baby. Now he's not wearing a mask but he's putting a mask on this baby. And it was shared on Twitter, and just hundreds of people commenting, what a wonderful father. He was just melting the hearts of all these people. What a great example. How caring, how loving he is to his little fellow there. and but what i saw was the hypocrisy he's not wearing a mask but he wants his like one and a half to two-year-old toddler to have a mask on who is not at risk whatsoever but this guy who's a multimillionaire playing nba basketball he doesn't know his kids not at risk cuz he's hypnotized He's a young man. Thinks he's invulnerable. He doesn't have to wear the mask. But he wants to make sure virtue signal, he's going to put the mask on his little fellow. Outrageous. Outrageous. Uh somebody uh commenting here on the Podbean Live app says um what are the chances you would ever get to guest host for Mark Levin again? Um, well, I'm sure it wouldn't be a problem for Mark. Mark Levin and I always got along just so well. He treated me he treated me really well. However, comma the problem is he's syndicated by a, by a company called Westwood One, which is owned by Cumulus Media, which is the company that fired me. So I kind of doubt corporate would allow it. But uh, Mark Levin's a great guy, and we got along just just famously. And I'm honored to have filled in for him uh, 11 times. Um, another great guy is my friend Dan Bongino, who has really been there for me um, all through this uh, process, ever since we first started talking a few weeks after I got fired. Um Dan Bongino has been there for me and my family, and just immeasurably and and such an encouragement. Such an encouragement. I can't say enough good about about Dan Bongino. Um. So so let's let's look at this. Matthew J. Peterson, uh, president of the New Founding Corporation a guy who says, stop buying from business that hates you. That's strong, brother. That's strong. He's linking to an article in the New York Times which says every day is January 6th now. And he says, the New York Times is the locus of all the big lies. This is the call for a permanent state of exception that will maintain a permanent authoritarian state that will ensure permanent one-party rule. At this point, if you cannot see that, odds are you ain't going to lead anyone in the future. He says there are, of course, many paths now possible to the same end, and they can all work at the same time, more or less. It's just that the New York Times and the like have perfected calling authoritarianism democracy and calling democracy authoritarianism. Um, and he links to Alexander Woodke, political psychology, psychologist over at University of Mannheim in Germany, who has a little article here from a prestigious journal in political science, American Political Science Review, a disturbing piece of political theory which explicitly argues that we must put climate action over democracy and adopt authoritarian governance if democracies fail to act on climate change. And see, this is the problem. This is the problem, because uh, people can rationalize anything. Early on in the China virus and the Wu flu, I spoke to an epidemiologist who was very frustrated that President Trump had not decided to basically lock the whole country down in a one-size-fits-all scenario. And I told this epidemiologist You claim he's an authoritarian. You claim he wants to be a dictator. But you're complaining because he's not acting like an authoritarian. He's not acting like a dictator. You want you actually want a dictator. You want an authoritarian. People can't reconcile that in their minds, so Anyway, Matthew J. Peterson concludes his thread here saying, the upshot of what's going on is that Republicans need to wake up and we must replace Republican leadership immediately with those who can act as the generals we need. The upshot is that Tom Klingenstein, playwright, author, is right when he says this is a cold civil war and we need to find generals ASAP. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Mitch McConnell, Senate leader of Republicans, and Kevin McCarthy, House leader of Republicans, they're not going to be those leaders. They're not going to be those leaders. Uh, They both continue to buy into the government lies about January 6th. And it's outrageous. It's outrageous. Kevin McCarthy refuses to uh, do anything about uh, Liz Cheney. Won't stand up for uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And it's outrageous. Now, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has some things to say about the uh, totalitarianism that they're trying to foist upon us. And uh, be patient with him. He has some sort of uh, medical issue with his larynx where he has a very difficult time talking. But it's worth listening to this minute and 44 seconds
2: of what he has to say is that every power that government acquires using this pandemic as a pretense it will ultimately abuse to the maximum effect possible and this is just a rule that is as certain as gravity the third thing that you need to know is that nobody has ever complied their way out of totalitarianism every time you comply, the demands will get greater and greater. We need to resolve, here and now, this is the hill that we need to die on. They have come for our jobs, they've come for our transport, now they're coming for our children. And we have an obligation as parents to protect them. There has never been a government in history that has told its people We are going to demand that children sacrifice themselves and take risks to save old people. It's always the other way around. The old, the mature, the adults always put themselves at risk to protect their children. This is an ethical issue. It's a moral issue. It's an issue of character for each of us. And it's an issue about the preservation of democracy and public health. We all need to stand up now and do everything that we can to block these power plays by authoritarian powers within our society that are trying to steal from us the health of our children. Wow.
0: When you hear a guy like that say you cannot comply your way out of totalitarianism they'll just keep making it worse the more you comply the more they'll come down on you i mean what what do you what do you think when you hear that We are uh, in in dangerous territory as a country. Dangerous territory. And um, I hope and I pray that we'll be able to take Congress back in 2022. I hope and I pray we'll be able to take the, uh, White House back in 2024. I don't know how, but we can't just give up. You know, we got a country to save. I mean, they, they, they stole it in 2020, probably the biggest landslide in American presidential history. But, um, We can't give up. So, and there are a number of Republicans in name only, rhinos, who, uh, when you talk about the stolen election, they just, they sneer, they mock, But let me ask something. So, we saw impromptu miles-long Trump motorcades, Trump parades in deep blue areas like Beverly Hills, California, and New York City. We saw the overwhelming crowds for Trump. We saw Biden couldn't attract a crowd, even if he had Barack Obama campaigning with him, even if he had John Bon Jovi uh, campaigning with him. We saw all five swing states stop counting at the same time on election night. I mean, you go on and on. You go on and on. Well, we saw it happen in real time—the theft of the invest of the uh, election—and uh, we're supposed to believe that this dementia patient, Joe Biden somehow got the most votes of anybody in the history of presidential elections. That he got a lot more votes, not only than, 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 than Trump in 2016, but than, than Obama himself, You know, who was pretty popular the first time around. We're supposed to believe that. And you go back to the mass formation psychosis. It's ridic- It's just it's absolutely ridiculous to believe such a thing. There, there's there's just no way around it. They stole it. You know they stole it. And yet, shh, shh, shh. Nobody's supposed to know. We're not supposed to admit. Right? Why not? Why not? All right, now, uh, that having been said, I, I, I think it's about time. Yeah, it's got to be
1: about time. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Don Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought
0: to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, a big old car dealership in the middle of the United States, which believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to online and have it delivered To your front door anywhere in the continental United States, Red River your way. All right, today's Tweet of the Day. I got to set it up first. Dana Bash, CNN, interviewing Dr. Anthony Fauci on State of the Union and CNN on, uh, I guess it was yesterday. Here here, here goes nothing. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got to, okay, I got to stop that. I got to stop that to be able to play this. All right, got to be ambidextrous. Here, here we go. How should vaccinated and boosted people behave? Can they go into a restaurant, eat safely indoors right now?
1: You know, when you're having such a, I call it a tsunami of infections, Dana, we are seeing people who are vaccinated and boosted who are getting breakthrough infections. So when you're in a situation where you have so many infections going out, the thing that you want to say is that if you want to do things like that, better do them in a setting where you know the people around you are vaccinated and boosted. How?
0: Okay, so if you're going to go out to eat, do it in a setting where you know everybody else around you is vaccinated and boosted. Otherwise, even though you're vaccinated and boosted, you might get sick with the COVID. That's what Dr. Fauci is saying on CNN. Now, the great Jesse Kelly, talk show host out of Houston, says in the tweet of the day, why does this vaccine require everyone to be vaccinated for it to work? And there you go. Mass formation psychosis. It doesn't make any sense, but you have to toe the party line. And one response, it requires it for communism to work. The so-called vaccine is the binding force narrative to ensure obedience, compliance, and control of people who are distracted by health while communism sneaks in, faking its way to its inevitable doom. This is communism, 21st century style. Yeah. Yeah. As a meme out there, Fauci, saying, don't forget to wear a thick coat this winter so the person next to you doesn't freeze to death. Oh, oh. And then a cartoon picture of a crowd all wearing masks, all having needles jabbing into them, saying, I am fully vaccinated and boosted and just tested positive for COVID-19. I am grateful for the protection my vaccines continue to provide. Now, you think that's ridiculous, but they do say it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Double jabbed and boosted and got COVID. But i tell you what, it sure would have been worse if I hadn't. Uh That's just nuts, man. That's just nuts. And that's our tweet of the day, brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online online. And have it directed, have it delivered directly to your front door anywhere in the continental U.S. Now, Jesse, uh, pardon me, um, Julie Kelly over on Twitter, found something yesterday evening, interesting filing yesterday in the Oath Keepers case in court in Washington D.C.. Defense counsel wants to subpoena Ray Epps, Stuart Rhodes, and Officer Harry Dunn, whose several Oath Keepers say they helped protect from violent protesters. Trial coming up in April, and this is for a detained defendant. That's some uh, crazy stuff. I would love to see Ray Epps and Stuart Rhodes have to appear in federal court. Oh, that'd be amazing! Now you kept on saying we got to go into the Capitol tomorrow. I better not say this. I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna be arrested, and you haven't been a year later. What's what's up? Are you a federal agent? You work for the feds, huh? You work for the feds. Uh, Deb Hine over at America Greatness said, "It's heartwarming." To see the usually anti-police media embrace the January 6th cops with so many sympathetic pieces. I'm sure I missed all the mainstream media stories about the 2,000 plus cops assaulted during the George Floyd riots. Not to mention the small business owners who lost their livelihoods. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. Molly Hemingway, the great over the Federalist saying, media work hard to disappear the left's year of deadly violent rage in 2020, but Americans haven't forgotten links to an article updated and reposted Real Clear Investigations January 6th slash BLM riot side-by-side comparison. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's that's some fascinating stuff right there. You're to really go to realclearinvestigations.com and take a look at that. Because that's intense. Now, I wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes, Leonidas Johnson, a conservative who happens to have a lot more melanin in his skin than I do and he hosts a podcast called Informed Descent and he says it's more than a little strange that people are acting like our government is just a building our government's just a building And that in order to overthrow the government, all you need to do is have a bunch of people get inside that building while unarmed, and then what? Capture the flag? How does this work? See, because they keep on saying that um, it uh, it was an insurrection. They're trying to overthrow the government. Well, by getting inside the Capitol building unarmed and, what, capture the flag? Doesn't really make any sense, does it? Now, I hope you're sitting down. Hold on to something. New article from LifeNews.com, Micaiah Bilger. Prenatal tests wrong 85% of the time, but they used to kill so-called disabled babies in abortion. Have you ever known someone who was told when she was pregnant that her baby would be severely disabled, severely handicapped, birth defects, you got to do an abortion? The mother chose against the abortion, and the baby was delivered happy and healthy. Have you ever known anybody like that? Because I certainly have. Here's the article over dot LifeNews.com. Early prenatal tests for rare disorders often lead to thoughts about abortion for expecting parents. Sometimes doctors and genetic counselors pressure parents to abort their unborn babies after a positive test. And both healthy and unhealthy unborn babies are killed in abortions as a result. Now, a new analysis by the New York Times of all places has found that some of the most common prenatal screening tests are not as reliable as parents often are led to believe. And many healthy unborn babies may be being aborted as a result of false positives. The New York Times examined five non invasive prenatal tests, which involved drawing blood in the first trimester, and found an average false positive rate of 85%. To conduct its research, the newspaper examined multiple studies and interviewed researchers about five of the most common microdeletion, in other words, chromosomal disorder tests performed on pregnant mothers. Tests for DeGeorge syndrome, 1P36 deletion, du Chat syndrome, Wolf-Hirschhorn syndrome, Prader-Willi and Engelmann syndromes. According to the report, experts said early prenatal tests for Patel syndrome, Trisomy 13, and Turner syndrome, monosomy X, also have a lot of false positives, but, le- but tests for Down syndrome and Edwards syndrome are more reliable. One of the problems with the high inaccuracy rates in the tests is that there are hundreds of microdeletion syndromes, and the most expensive tests look for between just five and seven, according to the New York Times. That means that not only are the false positives a problem, but the results also are not proof that the baby does not have the disorder. Despite the lack of certainty, the tests are marketed as reliable and accurate, according to the New York Times report. The test companies do recommend follow-up testing to confirm the results, but parents don't always do this. More accurate tests come with a risk of miscarriage and can be expensive, so some parents go on the early unreliable tests alone to make a decision about their unborn baby's life. One geneticist told the Times about a recent case where an early prenatal test came back positive for a rare disorder so the parents aborted their unborn baby. Later, however, follow-up tests after the abortion showed that the unborn baby had been healthy, according to the geneticists. The report continues. A 2014 study found 6% of patients who screened positive obtained an abortion without getting another test to confirm the result. That same year, the Boston Globe quoted a doctor describing three terminations following unconfirmed positive results. The expanded use of prenatal testing has led to More unborn babies with disabilities being targeted for abortions. Recent reports in the Atlantic magazine and CBS News found that nearly 100% of unborn babies who test positive for Down syndrome are aborted in Iceland, 95% in Denmark, 77% in France, and 67% in the United States. The deadly discrimination is getting worse with the expanded use of prenatal testing. The UK Telegraph reports a recent article in the European Journal of Human Genetics found that the number of babies with Down syndrome born in the United Kingdom dropped 54% since the non-invasive prenatal screening tests became available about a decade ago. What's more, parents frequently report feeling pressured to abort unborn babies with disabilities. One mom recently told the, the BBC she was pressured to abort her unborn daughter 15 times including right up to the moment of her baby's birth. Another mother from Brooklyn, New York, said doctors tried to convince her to abort her unborn son for weeks before they took no for an answer. Many say they did not receive adequate counseling about the disorder or the support available to families of children with disabilities. Of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. There are monsters among us. They're monsters among us. Um, Your children went back to school yesterday. How many of them are required to wear masks, even though we all know masks don't work and they're harmful for small children? Do you know? They're monsters among us. Now, remember, we're two days away from the solemn anniversary of when Nancy Pelosi refused to allow National Guard troops to protect the Capitol. Hat tip to a party man, Randy, over Twitter on that one. So, Marjorie Taylor Greene, outspoken and wonderful congresswoman from northwest Georgia, had a personal Twitter account banned for life by Twitter last weekend. I checked, none of the members of Congress from the state of Arkansas have said a peep. Not a word about it. Not a word about it. So, I mean, why would that surprise us? Why would that surprise us? Now, you know, we've been saying for quite some time that eventually fully vaccinated is going to mean not just double jab, but also got to be boosted to be considered fully vaccinated, right? So Sean Fleetwood over the Federalist has the article, CDC now treats unvaccinated the same as unboosted, just as Florida Governor Ron DeSantis Predicted. In his recent updated guidance on exposure to COVID-19, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention treats double-jabbed individuals that have not received a booster the same as unvaccinated ones. Updated CDC guidance says for people who are unvaccinated or are more than six months out from their second mRNA dose or more than two months from the after the Johnson-Johnson vaccine and not yet boosted, CDC now recommends quarantine for five days, followed by strict mask use for an initial five days. Alternatively, if a five-day quarantine is not feasible, it's imperative that an exposed person wear a well-fitting mask at all times and around others for 10 days after exposure. Individuals who have received their booster shot do not need to quarantine following exposure, but should wear a mask for 10 days after the exposure. You know what? I'll tell you something. CDC... You guys can just take a long walk off a short pier. Because we're just moving on, man. We're just moving on. John Daniel Davidson has another uh, great article over the Federalists. Corporate media's January 6th anniversary coverage is all about silencing Republicans. Subtitled. Equating the U.S. Capitol riot with GOP efforts to reform election laws is a way to avoid honest debate over the latter. Yeah, well, see, it was a police riot, though, is what it was. they That's why they don't want to release the 14,000 hours of security camera video from that day. But what little bit we have seen is obvious. The police are attacking peaceful protesters. I mean, to quote... The great retro hip-hop philosophers run DMC. That's the way that it is, and it's like that. Yeah. Let's see, somebody here says, um, I'm from Central Arkansas. This is on the Podbean app. People are checking in, writing comments. I'm from Central Arkansas. Private message you yesterday for information on Conrad Reynolds, who's a primary opponent against the Rhino U.S. Representative French Hill, in Central Arkansas. Thank you for responding. What is the possibility that you could get a program on Todd Starn's radio station or network? Um, I don't know. Uh, Todd knows where I am. Um, Todd and I have been quite friendly. We've never met, but we've talked on the phone many, many times. Back when I used to do a local morning talk show in Panama City, Florida, And Todd was still with Fox News Radio before they decided he was too Christian for them and and kicked him to the curb. Uh, Todd used to come on my morning show on a regular basis and do uh, updates on different topics in the news. So we've kind of known each other long distance now for um, 11 or 12 years. So, you know, I'm I'm willing to talk to anybody, willing to listen to anybody. So, So, yeah, I mean. Todd's got my cell phone number, I got his, so it's always good to hear from him. Always good to hear from him. Um, See, somebody else says, yeah, um, Biden stole the most votes of anyone in the history of elections. Somebody else actually uh, believes that, that Trump actually took California. That would not surprise me. That would not surprise me. Doc, none of the Arkansas Republicans are going to say anything. They're all rhinos. See, and this is why I think it's so important. If you live in central Arkansas and you actually want to be represented by a patriotic American, you vote for Conrad Reynolds, Colonel Conrad Reynolds, over French Hill in the Republican primary, May 24th. Um, ElectConrad.com is the website if you want to uh, support him financially. And if you're in um, eastern Arkansas, that congressional district, which includes Lono County and the Little Rock Metro, you vote for Brant Smith, the very conservative pro-life challenger to uh, the incumbent Rick Crawford over there. Last I heard, um, in the uh, district for southern and western Arkansas, Republican incumbent Bruce Westerman doesn't have a primary opponent. But, uh, you know, say in, in Wyoming, because we have listeners in Wyoming, Liz Cheney is going to go go down to defeat in that Republican primary, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Wherever you have a rhino, vote for the primary challenger. And if there's not a primary challenger, you be the primary challenger. Who knows? If the person is bad enough, and your name is on the uh, on the ballot. People might just vote for you because, oh, I can't stand this guy. Who's the other guy? I don't know. I'm going to vote for him. Just a, a thought there. All right, it's so that time again. You've been listening to Episode 59 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washman Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansoor's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smooth Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansoor Sempier X. And that's the way it is, Tuesday, January 4th, 2022.